Uh, Father God, we, uh, we do come to you this morning uh, for refreshment and for guidance, uh, for power and, and for love, Lord. We pray that you would fill our hearts with faith for the weak so that we could live uh, as we are meant to live. I pray, Lord, that this would be a morning of conquering and freedom and focus. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, adjust us where we need to be adjusted. Excite us for the things of God's kingdom. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen. amen. Uh, we are in a sermon series on try or trying. Try is a big word around here. We think that faith is spelled T-R-Y. I'll keep trying that and... And we'll get it right. Uh, if you're living a life of faith, then, uh, then you try the things of God. I think that try is the most important word in the English language. I think the most important phrase in the English language is, you know this? Try again, yeah. Uh, in particular, this is a, a short sermon series. This is, in fact, the last week on trying to make a difference in the world, trying to be salt and light, trying to, to live the life of impact that God designed you to live, but is also the only life that is going to satisfy you. Uh, if you feel like you cannot make a change in the world around you, then you will get sick. You will get sick. It will, it will warp your mindset and it will begin uh, to... Uh, to cool uh, your heart and bad things uh, will happen. So it's a series about trying to make a difference. In the first week of this series, we talked about how important it is to try speak, uh, as, as we might say uh, locally, to, to try to say something that, that your message is your meaning in life or your meaning in the world is the message that you bring to the world. And on many occasions, you have to express that message with words. You actually have to speak up. And you need to be ready to speak all the time. You need to be able to say things. And in our culture today, it's very dangerous to say things. There are more and more uh, cultural norms and, and actual laws uh, about what you can and cannot say in this context. Words are dangerous things because words are powerful things and we need to be people who are able to say words filled with message, words filled with meaning. And so as we go through life, uh, if we are people of try, if we are people of, of faith, we need, to be, we need to know what it is we have to say. And so my challenge uh, for us uh, is that. Do you know what you have to say? Do you know what you have to say today? Do you know what you have to say this week? When you go to work in the morning, do you know what you have to say at work or in your classroom? Or do you know what you have to say to your family uh, each morning, et cetera, et cetera? And that's something to think about. That's something to pray about with the Lord. That was week number one. Try speak. Week number two was try ask. Often uh, the best thing to say is actually a question. Uh, Jesus asked something like 383 questions in the Gospels, and he answered two. Uh, it's usually questions that are uh, the way to provoke. Uh, do you have good questions to ask? What are some good questions to ask? Like, oh, I don't know. What are five good questions to ask? Blue, blue water veterans, you should know this. 
What's God been saying to you recently? Or if you're speaking to a, to a non-believer, you might say, what's important for you lately? Yeah, what's, what's the second question that might be good? What are you doing about that? Oh, that's important. Well, how's that working out for you? Uh, you know, how are you following through? Because following through is discipleship. Discipleship is follow through. So that's a great provocative question, no matter who, who you're talking to. What's, a, what's another question? What, what's getting in the way? What's, what's, what's hard about that? It's like, what's important to you? What's God saying to you? Oh, what are you doing about that? How are you following through? What, what's hard? What's, what's the struggle? What's another question you could ask after that? What's, a, what's another question you could ask loudly after that? Oh, who are you bringing along? Yeah, it's like, well, who's in that with you? Who, who are you bringing into your important uh, agenda? And that might seem like kind of a weird one, but if you are not affecting people, then, then you're really not living. I don't care if you're a believer. I don't care if you're a non-believer, right? You should be blessing the people around you or you will feel sick, dissatisfied, weak, embittered. That's just a rule uh, of life. So it's always good to say, well, who are you influencing and how? Super important question to ask any human being. And then what's, what's, a, what the, what's a question you could end with? How can I help you with that? Ah, now you're building community. Uh, now, now you're influencing. And, and that would be a lovely conversation. For those of you who are new to Blue Water, we call those our five discipleship questions. And we always have them right on the tip of our tongue, ready to go in any conversation. It helps make us real. It helps keep us uh, salt and light. So try speak, try ask. Last week we talked about try attitude. Try attitude, which is to say have the attitude of try have an attitude that's engaging and ready to go, that's full of faith, uh, but also try attitude. If you want to influence the world, share your attitude, because I guarantee you, your attitude is the most contagious thing about you. And when the Bible talks about sharing faith, it doesn't just talk about sharing what you believe in. It means sharing faith, faith itself, and faith is an attitude. It is, it, is, it is a trusting attitude. It's the attitude that says, hey, God could do something incredible right here, right now. That's faith. And since the whole world is afraid, we want to share the opposite of fear, which is faith, an attitude, an approach that's all about uh, faith and trust and expectancy rather than fear and anxiety. Uh, so share your attitude, and sometimes you need to condition the room with attitude before anybody can hear what you say, which is why Jesus was always saying, let he who has ears hear, because a lot of people just don't have open ears. You could talk to them all day long, and they're not going to hear you. Why? Because they're locked in the wrong attitude. You need to create faith in the environment before you can actually make a difference uh, with your words and and your attitude is the most empowering thing in your life. You should probably have some daily ritual to get your attitude on. Everybody just turn to your neighbor and be like, yeah. Totally uncomfortable. I love it. So try speak, try ask, try attitude. And today we're going to talk about trying again, unsurprisingly enough. Let me, let me start that with a question uh, because I hear that questions are provocative. Uh, what's, what's the most important thing for us as Jesus followers? Is it the capacity to, to, to maintain faith during struggle and hardship and sacrifice? 
or is it the capacity to use faith to break through struggle and barriers in order to get abundance? Let me boil it down a little bit. What's, what's the most important kind of faith? Is it endurance faith or is it abundance faith? Yes. Think about, think about that for a second. What, what's more important? It's like endurance faith, the faith to hold on, or is it abundance faith, the faith to break through? Have I stumped you? Or are you just too afraid to ask? Breakthrough faith. How many say breakthrough faith? How many say hold on faith? We need both. How many of you just refuse to answer on principle? Um, let me ask it differently. Where do you live? Do you live in holding on endurance faith? Or do you live with breakthrough abundance faith? Where do you live? Where, and where do you live? Are you in endurance mode? Or are you in abundance mode? Abundance mode? Endurance mode? Endurance mode. I noticed that some of our most aggressive ministers are like endurance. Not sure what that says. How many of you are still refusing to answer on principle? I love my church. All right. Uh, I, I think, you know, as everybody is sort of intuited, both are really important, right? They're like two sides of, of the same coin. Uh, but I think especially the latter. I think abundance faith is is the most important because that's the thing that really completes faith in, in my opinion. I'll explain what I, why I, I say that. But, but, but chiefly, I think the, the battle to endure a struggle, the battle to hold on, is really a battle to pursue breakthrough and abundance anyway. No matter what's going on, you're still hoping for abundance. No matter what's going on, you're still reaching for improvement and breakthrough and difference-making. You're still straining for an abundant life. But what happens is once we've endured for a long, long time, we start to resign ourselves to simply holding on, and we forget to try to break through anymore, right? And then faith becomes all about holding on or, or waiting. Some people spell faith W-A-I-T instead of spelling faith T-R-Y. And that happens to a lot of us, and I'm, I'm probably the guiltiest party here. Having abundance, having a, having a life of abundance and blessing and breakthrough does not require much faith, in my opinion. You know, if things are going great, you know, you don't, you don't need a lot of faith. You know, where faith is required is the journey to get to blessing, is the journey to get to breakthrough. But you always have to see it as a process to, to get to breakthrough. There is nobody who appreciates struggle more than I do. I, I love it. I love holding on faith. You know, I think it is, I think it's gorgeous. I think it's, I think it's beautiful and it always inspires me. Uh, but along the way, we must never give up expecting abundance or else our faith will lose its power to change anything. And faith is a change power. Faith is for change. 
And we just have to uh, remember that. There's a scripture on the back of your program. It's going to be up here on the big board. It's from Luke chapter 5. It is the story of the miraculous catch. And uh, it is Luke's version of the calling of the very first Jesus disciples, the first of the 12 that Jesus called to follow him. Uh, this is how the story goes. Luke's give, Luke gives the longest version of that account and throws in a few uh, details about fishing. This is how it goes. Luke chapter 5, uh, early in Jesus' ministry, the calling of the first disciples. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to him teach the word of God. Uh, so he's on the beach. The people are pressing in. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Uh, so they're cleaning up their nets after a night of fishing is what's going on. And Jesus kind of sees them washing their nets. They're probably listening to what he's saying as well. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Acoustically brilliant because sound carries so well uh, over water. It was sort of a natural amphitheater. And Simon the fisherman uh, played along and, and uh, took him out in the boat a little ways and sat there with him even though he had been fishing all night. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Hey, let's go fishing. Put down the nets, which is more than just casting. It's a big deal to put out your nets. It takes a lot of work. So Simon answered, uh, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. A particularly disappointing night for a fisherman. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Okay, I'll try. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat, remember there were two, to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. It's a lot of fish. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man, which is an interesting reaction. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners, the guys in the other boat. Then Jesus said to Simon, uh, don't be afraid, don't freak out. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. And that's the part of the story that is mentioned in all of the Gospels. They just left it all behind. And, uh, and followed him. Um, when I think about this story, I think about all of the, all of the fishermen in, in developing countries uh, whom I have known, whose acquaintance I have made, and, and, and other people who just sort of live, live in subsistence fashion. I mean, we, we kind of forget living in our culture of abundance, you know, what, what that life is like. But, but most of their society lived in, in subsistence Poverty. I mean, right on the edge of disaster, and 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 these these guys were subsistence fishermen, as you might uh, think of subsistence farmers. They made their living one catch at a time, you know, day to day, that sort of thing. 
Uh, and there's a psychology to subsistence living. If you've ever been around cultures that are really subsistence cultures, abundance is not part of that psychology. <laughs> it is not part of their mindset. If life for you is a daily grind that just barely gets you and your family by, and it has been that way for generations, and it will be that way for generations, you know, you don't think a lot about breakthrough. You don't think a lot about abundant living. You don't think about striking it rich. What you think about is, well, I hope we have a decent catch today. You know, your horizons are small. You know, you're, you're in subsistence mode. Or today, sometimes it's popular to call it poverty mindset. You know that you're just going to get by if things go really well and that you might not. And you're just stuck right there at that level. And that's probably where these guys were living, I imagine. They had a pretty religious culture, and there were people that God really favored and blessed, and there were people that God did not favor and bless. And if you were poor and struggling, then you were part of the unblessed. And that's just the way it was. There was a strong element of faith in the way that this culture was constructed. There is no thought of changing things all that much for these guys. Uh, and... Uh, that's the culture into which Jesus is ministering and speaking. A big part of subsistence mindset or poverty mindset is the capacity to endure, right? If you're in a subsistence culture, you're tough. I mean, these guys are tough. They might not think about abundance, but they can take anything. They're some of the most rugged people that you will find. And so there's, there's an endurance that we probably don't see a lot of in a culture like we have. The capacity to endure. And I think that is such an honorable thing. There, there were no whiners. <laughs> you know, these guys did not whine. And, and I think they had a faith for endurance. You know, endurance is a type of faith. And I imagine that these guys really had it. And they're out there every night doing their thing. There are situations in life in which resignation, acceptance, seems more empowering than expectation. Have you ever been there? It's like, what I really need to do is to resign myself to this situation. I don't need to waste a lot of energy expecting it to change into blessed abundance. I just need to settle down and get real. Have you ever been there? And sometimes that can go on for years and years and years or even generations. Uh, and, and I imagine that, you know, that's, that's kind of what was going on. Uh, they're really tired one night. They've just had a terrible night. I mean, who knows what their mindset is. It could be like, well, you know, how are we going to pay the bills this week? How is my family going to eat this week? I mean, they caught nothing after working all night long. And have you ever fished on a boat all night long? A couple? It's tiring. And they're washing their nets. They're putting it away. And then this rabbi hops in your boat and says, row me out. So you're like, okay, you know, you're bone tired, but you're trying to, to honor an honorable man. And then uh, Jesus turns to this tired captain and he says, put out in deep water. And just so you know the significance of that, fish were not in deep water. When you put down the nets, you put down your nets right on the shelf, right, right in the shallow water because that's where the fish schooled. So to go out into deep water, one, took a lot of work uh, to, to go out there. And, and two, that's not where the schools of fish were. So dropping your nets in deep water is, is just stupid. 
And you just imagine what's going through Simon Peter's mind at this point. Like, not only do I have to put up with this guy, but he clearly must be a carpenter or something because he don't know how to fish. He doesn't, doesn't know what's going on. Uh, so you're fatigued, you're disappointed, your subsistence mindset, and you're trying to, you know, put up with this, with this yokel who does not know what he's doing. When Peter says, um, Master, um, you tell me to put out the nets, just so you know, we've been fishing all night and haven't caught anything, dot, dot, dot. But because you say so, I'll put out the nets again. What do you think his attitude was in that moment? I mean, was it, you know, because you say so, I'll do it. But just so you know, you're an idiot. Because this is not how it's done. Uh, the fish aren't here. Uh, we're in deep water. We're exhausted. So you better appreciate this. Was that his attitude? Or was it, well, we haven't caught anything all night and we're in the wrong place, but because you say so, I know it will work. What do you, what, what do you think his attitude was? A, <laughs> option A. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, you know, I, I, I try to give this guy credit. You know, he's already gone the extra mile, hasn't he? And he's trying to honor an honorable man. I, I, I imagine he's probably warring within himself, right? I think he probably has a, a, a clash of expectancies. Like, this isn't going to work. I don't want this guy to be disappointed so much, and I don't want him to think I'm a bad fisherman. So I'm going to let him know that the fish just aren't here uh, tonight, today. Um, I'll, I'll, go through, I'll go through the motions, but I will do it as best I can. You know, maybe, maybe something like that. Uh, I don't know. There's got to be some faith in him, at, at least. Maybe a better word is faithfulness. You know, he's faithful, even if he's not faith-filled, if you know what I mean. And sometimes that's, that's the best that, that we can do. There's at least a lack of bitterness. He's not grumbling too much. Uh, and, and, and that's enough, even if it's not perfect. And, of course, they get this miraculous haul of fish. They drag it in, and, and Peter's reaction is awesome. He's like, I'm a sinner. And so we know that whatever his attitude was, it wasn't perfect <laughs> because he's realized, Oh, oh, you know, and I would just love to chat with him about that moment. You know, I imagine that he's having a realization about his lack of expectancy or something like that. But he just realizes, oh, that was a sacred thing that just happened. And, and he's not like overcome about the fish per se, clearly, because, you know, he kneels before Jesus. He's overcome with Jesus in that moment. He said, what just happened there just taught me something and changed my life. And I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what Peter was thinking because I can't interview him, but I think it was, had something to do with how faith, faith isn't just T-R-Y, faith is often try again. And Jesus, this is the calling of Jesus' first disciples, and it was a calling out of hopelessness, wasn't it? it, it was, they were faithful, but they were not faithful. Filled. And they're the people that Jesus goes to and says, no, no, I'll take your faithfulness and I will increase it to something that's truly world-changing. I will take faithfulness and I will make it faith. I will take your endurance faith and I will turn it into abundance faith. What do you think? Fishing is great. Now you're going to fish for people. What do you think? And they left everything because that interaction, that sacred moment, that promotion was life to them. 
And I love this story for that reason. For many of us, you know, hopelessness or resignation is a sort of lifestyle because disappointment has been a lifestyle. You know, any amens out there? If, if you just rest in disappointment, if you experience a lot of disappointment in life, then, then, then endurance faith is very important. And you tend to sort of settle into it. Uh, and that, that serves us well when we need it. You know, the, the capacity to endure in faith is an incredibly honorable thing. I think it's beautiful. I think it's fundamental. But it's not everything. It's not full faith. You know, and, and I have fought that battle right there on that frontier my whole life. You know, like, like a lot of you from, from, from broken homes, one of the first things that, that we learn uh, is that we can't change things. I think that's why stuff like divorce is so incredibly damaging to kids, is because their world is falling apart, and they hear from mommy and daddy, oh, it's not your fault, we still love you, but that's really not the point for the kid. The point for the kid is that there's nothing the kid can do to make it better, right? And so that they receive a message of powerlessness. And a lot of us, you know, no matter how, how loving our families were, if they broke apart, we learned that lesson. There is nothing we can do to fix the most important things in life. And then you're just kind of raised in that. Incredibly destructive. Incredibly destructive. And, you know, the statistics are true. Fully 50% of us grew up that way. And that's, that's a very hard thing uh, to overcome. And, you know, that was, I had loving people in my life, but that was a real fundamental lesson for me. Uh, as well. And, and you know, we, I had all these fundamental disappointments in life, as many of you had. I, I'm, I'm doing some coaching now at, at my daughter's high school and getting to know some new kids this track season. They were all asking me questions about my athletic career. And it sort of reminded me how fundamental it was when my athletic, athletic career ended, in large part because of injury. I had, I had fractured part of my spine. And it's just, it's just disappointing, you know. And and uh, I'm just kind of getting back into sports um, now uh, after a long time. And it's like, wow, you know, that, that was really hurtful. I, I still feel like I have something to overcome now all these years later. Um, I was in academia for a while. I was pursuing an academic career. And I, I remember distinctly the day when one of the professors on my dissertation committee, after I was wrapping up the dissertation, pulled me aside and said, Jordan, you will never get a job. In, in academia because uh, your dissertation, which he really liked, your dissertation uh, will be unpopular. It's not politically correct. No one will ever hire you, plus you are a pale-skinned man, so forget about it. Um, liberal universities won't take you. And I said, really? I mean, wh what do I do with that? Do I resign myself to that? You know, I tried for a little lo while longer, and, and then I did. I quit um, as it was not working out for me. I uh, had tons of betrayals in, in, in churches uh, in my history, uh, being driven out uh, of uh, fellowship for, for no reasons, for lies and stuff like that. What, you know, and church is very fundamental to my life. Um, and, and I had to just endure that sort of thing. Um, you've heard some of those stories um, over the years, uh, I think. And then, you know, just... A lot of fatigue in life. I just feel like, you know, I've worked really, really hard in life. And, and uh, 
when you work really, really hard for a really long time, sometimes you feel that, that your work just isn't generating the sort of abundance that you hoped for. You know, things, things accumulate. Disappointing experiences uh, accumulate. And if you have long-term or repeated experiences of fundamental disappointments, maybe you find yourself at a certain age thinking, wow, you know, this just isn't the life I hoped for. This, this just isn't how I really desired this to go. Um, there are a lot of things that I can't go back and change at this point. And it's tempting to settle into the mindset of, of disappointment. That word disappointment is a fascinating word when you take it apart. You know, disappointment means disappointment. You've been appointed to something, but now you're displaced from it. And, and if disappointment kind of seeps into our souls and becomes our mindset, then we become disappointed. We lose our appointment in life. And what's your appointment in life? Somebody tell me. Share God's love to be salt and light to change the world around you, you know, and you cease to be a world changer because you believe you can't even change your own life, you know, and, and that can be a very dangerous place to live. Even though it might be filled with endurance faith, it's no longer filled with changing, changeful faith, and you're stuck as stuck can be as a result, and like I say, I appreciate the struggle it's where I have spent uh, a lot of time. Uh, and, and being good Christians, you know, if you're in that place, uh, you may still think something like, you know, I can still imagine being blessed because God is good. It's just that I really need to figure out how to live without blessing. You know, because, because I, I need to hold on. And, and there's nothing wrong with that attitude necessarily. In fact, I think that attitude might be worshipful. It, 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 it might well be truly humble. It's just not quite complete. It's not quite complete. You still need the ability uh, to try even if you feel generally unblessed. Or maybe you have that compromised attitude like, I have blessings. I have blessings. I have blessings. Even though you feel generally unblessed, not one of those people who are blessed and favored by God in life, which I think is probably how the fishermen on the beach felt generally. And imagine that if you're in that sort of disappointed place that Jesus comes to you and he does a really rude thing. After you've, you've been practicing endurance faith for, for so long, you've overcome so much, imagine he comes to you and says something like, hey, work harder, please. Let's go a little bit deeper. Let's go a little bit farther. Now that you're good and fatigued, let's do it again. What would you say? You know, and maybe like Simon Peter, you'd have that struggle between, okay, I'll do it, but you suck. You know, maybe, maybe you get angry at the Lord. Or maybe you'd be full of faith. Yes, this is the moment. This time is going to work. And if that's you, God bless you. You may leave. No prayer ministry for you. Um, anybody ever feel God do that to you? I mean, you're just like, you're, you're just played out. I mean, you're just tired. And then the Lord comes to you in one way, shape, or form and says, time to work harder. Time to, time to jump in now. Woo, let's go. Everybody have that experience? 
this week? Yeah. Jesus said that he came to give us an abundant life. You know, and I think a lot, what does that mean exactly, an abundant life? You know, I'm not a pie-in-the-sky guy at all. I mean, there's, there's not even a little bit of, like, undying optimism in me. I have dying optimism. Um, but, but, you know, I, abundant life, though, abundant life. How does one pursue that? Um, and and here's, here's what I think about. This is just a little tip uh, from me to you. And again, this comes, this comes from the sports world. I think about PRs. You know what a PR is? What, what's a PR? It's a personal record. So we talk about PRs a lot in, in, in track, for instance. Like, I don't know, maybe your PR in the mile is six minutes. You can run a mile in six minutes. Okay, eight minutes, maybe... Maybe your PR in the mile of six, six minutes. And, uh, but a personal record for you would be to go out this race and run a 559. You know, and, and your PR is a great goal because you're headed in the right direction. And then maybe the next race you'd run a 555, you know, which would be a big PR. And, and that's, that's what you think about uh, when, you're, when you're training in athletics. You know, you don't think about an Olympic gold medal when you're in high school. You think about setting the next PR. And if you set enough PRs, then maybe someday you'll end up in the Olympics. But, you know, one, one PR at a time. One improvement at a time. Improvement is the motivator. And that's kind of how I work it in my life. Sometimes it's hard for me to dream of Olympic medals, so to speak. Uh, I'm, I'm 50 now. I'm probably not going to get that Olympic medal. Is what I'm... Well, ice skating? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 2022. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not dreaming of that, but I am dreaming of improvement. I am dream, dreaming of this being the best week that I've ever had, or, you know, this being the best month that I've ever had. Improvement, I think, is the key to abundant living. And, you know, I, I don't think about getting it all. I don't think about having it all. I just want a little more. I just want to have a little more. And I think that's my appointment in life. You know, I may not influence a million people this week, but, you know, I'm going to influence more people than I influenced last week for good. Um, and, and then, you know, gradually, those things add up. And those things add up to breakthrough. And maybe one night I'll get a miraculous catch. Just, I'll just get a blessing all out of proportion. And you know what I'll do the next day? I'll go back to work. You know, try to do a little bit better a little bit better, and that's abundance. I constantly expect more. How much more? Not really an important question to me. Right? Just more. Just abundance. And that is my faith discipline, and I suggest it to you as well. By following Jesus and opting for full abundance faith for more faith, or faith for more, uh, rather than just endurance faith, I, I think you go somewhere. I think you become something. I think it keeps you in the change game, which is your appointment. Everybody following me? Give me a little amen. A little chihu. Improvement is the key. Give me a little chihu. 
I believed for more. I got it. I'm an awesome preacher. Just in the palm of my hand, Katie. Jesus, uh, Jesus' call to his first disciples, I think, was to a group of people who had given up expecting a blessing of abundance. They were just hoping for enough to get by. And Jesus walked into precisely that situation, precisely that situation, and that's where he started his ministry, right there. You know, take somebody who had endurance faith and give that person full uh, abundance faith. And, and maybe, maybe that's where you are. You know, maybe you've been in that place where you can imagine being blessed, but you're not really expecting being blessed. Um, and I think the word to you uh, from the Lord Jesus would be, would be the most important phrase there is in discipleship. Try again. Let's try again. I mean, let's, let's try again. You know, I mean, drop those nets. You know, make, make the effort. Try, try again. And, uh, and, and see what happens see what the Lord does. There are different things that you could pick up from this little passage and craft a really cool sermon like, you know, listen to the voice of the Lord directing you. If the Lord says to do it, you know, then follow his instructions. So and so, um, you know, all, all, all great things. Seek direction from the Lord. But I, but I think the most important thing is the willingness to try again is faith that doesn't just endure, but that expects breakthrough and overcoming. I've been at it long enough. I think there's something to that sort of faith that is miraculous. It's hard for me to ratchet that up day to day. And so that is the faith I pray for. That right there, the faith to try again. That's the faith that's the most important faith in my life. And that's the faith that leads to everything for me pretty much. Pretty much. I don't need faith to look for blessings from the blue. I need faith to expect blessings in situations in which I've been working but not seen breakthrough yet. How about you? How about you? Let's pray. If we are going to be people of try, Father God, then clearly we need to be people who try again. And so what I pray for this morning as we end this sermon series on try, I pray for the complete form of, tra- of faith. I I pray for the faith to try again. I pray for faith not just to endure, but to expect abundance. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you yourself would come into the house and minister to people who are uh, stuck right there in that borderland, who have uh, faithfulness, but not quite faith-filledness. Speak to them, Holy Spirit. Uh, Point to the places where they have been resigned instead of energized. And I'll just suggest that maybe you and the Lord have a little interaction. Maybe you have a, well, Lord, because you say so, I'm going to do it. But try to put a little oomph in that. Try to put a little faith in it. 
yes, Lord, I'll tell you what, I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to do it with an attitude this time, with a good attitude. Make that commitment to the Lord, and He might make you a, a fisher of people. He might make you a world changer. He might make you a, a, a breakthrough. It's your appointment. Don't give up on it.